Well, again, Cedar Street, I love you very much. Great to be back in God's house with all of you here this morning as we're getting right towards the finish line of our journey through the book of James. This has taken us most of the summer, and it's been a great journey together as, as now we are entering it towards the end of uh, chapter 5. And the title of our message today, as we continue uh, putting feet to our faith, the title of our message is Be Patient for the Lord. Be Patient for the Lord. For those that uh, are looking at your sermon insert guide, and I always give us something to think about, I know this goes without saying, but it's something we need to remind ourselves of frequently Here's a statement that I want to make. Patience is the most dangerous thing to ask for in prayer because of what is required for God to provide it. This was a hard lesson for me to learn as a Christian. It really was. Here's what I believed. I got saved in 2006, and I began to pray for God to start changing me, to make me more like Jesus. And God, I think, was as willing to answer those prayers as I was to pray them. The only difference is, the, the way in which God decided that He was going to answer those prayers was a lot different than what I was hoping for. We pray for God to give us patience, and what we think is going to happen is that He's going to rewire our brains and rewire our hearts that we just naturally become more patient. But that's not exactly how God works. What God will do when you need patience, He will put you in a position where you need to learn patience. All right, it's the same thing with our physical bodies. We pray for God to give us a strong body. We're not going to wake up tomorrow with six-pack abs. We may wake up with a gym membership, you know, but God's going to put us to work. It's the same thing with patience. It is the single most difficult thing to pray for because of what God has to do to bring about that patience in our lives, and maybe now more so than ever before in human history. I don't know if you have noticed, but in this country specifically, in 2017, we got ourselves into one big hurry. We're in a rush to do everything. And there's an element of hurry that is contrary to our growth as Christians. Patience is not easy. It's a fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit grows slowly. I thought about a perfect example this past week for the men in this church that at some point in your life, whether it was a birthday or Christmas or just a general prayer request, that you, you ask God to give you a chainsaw. God, I just want a, I want a nice, beautiful chainsaw for the tool shed. I have so many projects that I want to partake of and things that I want to do, and then what happens? Well, you pull the chainsaw out of the shed because on days that pine trees go south, you got to get to work as quick as possible to clean up the neighborhood and get power back and restored again. And so when I think about patience, I think about the real reason that God gives us the chainsaw. Yes, we want it for our own purposes. Yes, we enjoy having these tools. But God intends for us to have them not just for ourselves, but for His kingdom. It's the same thing with patience. You may want patience for yourself. Maybe you don't want to be an irritable person Maybe you want to be more tender-hearted and and more slow to anger towards other people. And that's a good desire to have. But God desires for you to have that, not just so that you can feel better about yourself, but that you can build up His kingdom. And what we're going to get into here today is one specific act of patience, and that is being patient in times of suffering. I really believe this. We had a short time of devotion with our deacons this morning. I believe that suffering is the most misunderstood topic in the Christian walk. And I'm going to tell you why it's misunderstood and why it's difficult. Because the best-selling so-called Christian authors and the the popular Christian speakers on Christian television, they don't talk about suffering because that doesn't sell books and that doesn't buy airtime. 
But you know what? The Bible has a lot to say about suffering in the Christian life and about being patient in the midst of suffering. Simply put, suffering is the primary tool that God uses to make you more like Jesus Christ. It's not that God enjoys watching anybody suffer, but what God enjoys is the fruit that can come from a Christian who is willing to be patient in times of suffering. The Bible has so much to say. If you're a note taker, just hit book, chapter, and verse because I'm going to run through this quickly in the essence of time. But this is just a, a taste of what Scripture says all over the Bible about suffering. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 4. Okay, Romans 5, 3 through 4. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. A little further in Romans, chapter 8, verse 17 of Romans. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may be glorified with Him. Philippians 1.29 For it has been granted for you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. And then Matthew chapter 10, verses 38 through 39. Matthew 10, 38 through 39. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I wish when I became a Christian that somebody would have sat down with me and explained this. Because here's what happened in my life. I got sucked into the Christian preachers on television who preach the name it and claim it prosperity gospel that if you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, prosperity's just around the corner. Your pigs won't die. Your crops are going to grow taller than you are. Your bank account's going to explode. All the chronic diseases you have, you can pray them all away. I believed it. I bought into that the first year I was saved. And then I started, as I was a Christian, Walking with the Lord as faithfully as I could, as I understood, things were not getting better, it seemed to me. They were getting worse. I lost my job the first year I was saved. I lost friends. Even family members to this very day have distanced themselves from me since I became a believer because they don't hold to Christian truth. And so the suffering that I endured for Christ, it it confused me and it surprised me. But it's because I never heard a pastor stand up with an open Bible and explain that God has a purpose in it and that he ordains for us to experience it. Uh, Ravi Zacharias, one of my favorite uh, Christian leaders who is on television and on radio and is one who I would put my faith in. I think he's a phenomenal preacher of God's word. Uh, Here's what he had to say about pleasure and pain. Ravi said, all pleasure is bought at the price of pain. True pleasure is when price, the price is paid before you enjoy it. False pleasure is when the price is paid after you enjoy it. Let me read that quote again. All pleasure is bought at the price of pain. True pleasure is when the price is paid before you enjoy it. False pleasure is when the price is paid after you enjoy it. There's echoes of that truth in your life. Even if you're not a Christian, you know this. All right, I'm not going to look at them uh, to, to call them out, but there are certain people in our church who have a passion for physical fitness. And there are some people in our church who are CrossFitters. If you don't know what CrossFit is, it is some of the most extreme measures of physical fitness. I mean, you don't go go into it halfway. I mean, you put your body to the test, but you know how people who are in CrossFit can do it? 
because they already see the fruit that lies ahead for the suffering they'll endure putting their body through what they're putting them through. They don't ever think of the pain. All they think about is, I'm, I'm, I'm putting my muscle through atrophy. I'm breaking down the fibers of my muscles so that in the days ahead, they're going to grow stronger and stronger and stronger. So the pain actually becomes a conduit to make them work harder because they see the fruit that lies ahead. It's the same thing spiritually. Christ can and will use suffering in our life, not because he enjoys watching us in pain, but because he enjoys knowing the fruit that will come if we endure patiently and we follow him. So what's the big idea? What do I want us to see as we open up James chapter 5 and look at verses 7 through 12? In one sentence, I think I would say this. We are called to remain patient in times of suffering because we know God has a sovereign purpose for all of our pain. He has a sovereign purpose for every single tear that you have ever cried. That's a good word. And that's a good reason for us to open our Bible. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of James, again, chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, grab the Pew Bible in front of you. We'll be on page 1201 in your Pew Bible. And if you would stand at this time, out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word. Again, we're in James chapter 5, reading verses 7 through 12. Hear the word of the Lord, starting in verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Verse 12 says, But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Let us pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, again we love You. Father, no one enjoys suffering. None of us in this room, Father, are pursuing it willingly. We don't want to suffer. We know that You don't enjoy watching us suffer. But Father, I pray that You would help us through Your Word today to imprint it on our hearts that You have a purpose in it that you don't waste an ounce of pain. You don't waste a a shed tear. In fact, Father, your word says that you keep our tears in a bottle. Father, would you help us today for everyone in this room who is suffering something, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, financial, whatever the case may be, Father, let us suffer for righteousness' sake. Let us suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us suffer in patience, waiting for you to do what only you can do, Father, to make us more like Jesus. Help us to understand this passage. Open up our hearts and minds to receive it and respond to it this morning in repentance and faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, Amen. I have really enjoyed our journey through James. Again, I think he's so practical. And we're in chapter 5 right now. We've got today and next week, and we'll wrap up the book of James. And as James is bringing this letter to a close, I think what he's doing is he's pulling back. 
So throughout this whole book, he's been giving us all kinds of admonitions on these specific topics. He's told us to, to put faith to work and to, to watch our tongues and, and to do all these other things. Well, now he's pulling back so we don't miss the forest despite the trees. He's given us the big picture. And he's encouraging us once again to walk the Christian walk. And what he's basically telling us is if you're a Christian and you do put feet to your faith, you're going to suffer. It'll happen. Mark it down. God gives it to you wrapped up in a gift with a bow. But as you receive it, receive it with patience because you know it has purpose. And so, again, the title of our message is to be patient for the Lord. And there's three aspects to that in this passage that I want to address. So the first of those three, number one, be patient for the Lord's return. Be patient for the Lord's return. Verses 7 through 8 say this. Keep your Bible open as we're going to walk through this word for word. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. When I think of this illustration that, that James uses in terms of a farmer waiting for the fruit and waiting for the harvest and waiting for the rain, it reminds me of a statement that a professor said to me years ago. He said, Bo, Christians want the fruit, but they don't want the root. We want what suffering can provide, but we'd like to avoid the suffering to get there. Think about the farmer. All right, there are many of you in this room now, many, I would imagine, at some point in your life, took part in agriculture, whether you were a sharecropper, whether mom and dad had you out there at a young age on your hands and knees pulling crops. All right, so most of you in this community should understand this passage much better than I do. All right, why is it that God does not allow the plant to sprout up right away? Well, it needs rain. Well, why does it need rain? Well, first of all, God decided before the foundations of the earth that that's how he would bring forth vegetation. But at the same time, it's the patience that's required for the farmer from when he plants to when he plucks that it builds faith. All right? One of the things that blessed my heart with joy years ago, I remember uh, the Guidos had a, a prayer service to pray for rain. And Mayor Billy Trapnell pulled an old article uh, from the Matter Advertiser from like the 1940s. And it was simply a recorded prayer meeting of when they began to pray for rain, and as they were praying in the sanctuary, hard raindrops started falling on the rooftop. It's in the midst of that patient waiting in times of suffering that our faith is built. It's the only way. It's God's plan A, and there is no plan B, because if you don't suffer and you don't need God, you'll become your own God. You'll do it on your own strength. You will not seek His grace. You will not seek His plan. You'll continue to execute your own plan. It's when we have pain that we acknowledge something is wrong and we go get an x-ray and try to figure out where it is. It is where God gets our attention. Now, in this passage, James is specifically telling us to be patient for the Lord's return. Why is that? Here's why. I don't know if you've stopped and thought about this, but in the particular line of work that I have, I think about it every day. When I do hospital visitations and I'm with people praying in final moments before surgery, what I see is a creation that is groaning for redemption. We've got broken bones. We've got broken ligaments. We've got broken spirits. 
We wake up in the morning achy and cranky and tired and frustrated. We have to-do lists that we can't get to the bottom of. We have situations that we can't resolve. We, we just can't seem to get it right. And all of creation is crying out to be redeemed. All of creation. That's what Scripture says. Romans 8, 22 through 25 says this. Romans 8, 22 through 25. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. We, now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We are people who are anxiously awaiting Christ's return. And there's echoes of this everywhere. And I'm just going to be honest as, as I put this together. I, and the last night I prayed over this, I, I, I was moved to tears multiple times. I, I wanted, could, couldn't, couldn't control my tears last night just thinking about this. But there are certain echoes of this where we're crying out for something different. We know life is better than what we're experiencing, right? We know something's not right. Even the good things in life don't taste as good as they should. They don't last as long as they should. We know as Christians that we're made for a different world. This is not home. We're passing through. And there are echoes of that that remind me of this all the time. I don't know if you've ever seen these videos. I get, oh man, I get emotional when I see them. Uh, these videos that float around on the internet of people who are hearing impaired and they've never heard, they've never heard a sound in their life. And for the first time, they get these life-altering hearing aids and they hear for the very first time and they realize exactly what it means to hear. I remember, I remember watching uh, Jesus of Nazareth the movie that came out in the 70s. I reference it often because I've seen it so many times. And there's the scene where Jesus heals the blind man at the pool of Siloam. And he spits in the dirt and he rubs it in, in, in the blind man's eyes. And in the movie, the blind man says, what are you doing? You're hurting my eyes. And then he goes to the pool and, he, and, he, and they take him to the pool and he washes his eyes and he looks around and the light is so blinding. And he says, I can see, I can see. And then he says that verse, now I know what it means to see. Now I know what it means. Uh, we don't know what it means to truly live life because we're in a sinful body, in a sinful world, and we hit brick walls. But when we're Christian, we get our first glimpse of what God intended for us to have. We get our first glimpse of eternal life. We get these promises throughout Scripture that one day we're going to live on a resurrected body and a resurrected earth, and we're going to do all the things that we couldn't do now, yet without sin and yet without limitation. For the first time, we're going to know what it is to really live. And until that comes... Or we're going to be groaning and crying out for Christ to return. Maybe not consciously. Most of us, I think, are distracted. And so what we do is we pray for other things to come that we think will make us happy on this side of heaven. And all those things are temporary because none of them can satisfy and fulfill and open up our eyes to live life the way that we're going to live it at our time of redemption. So what do we do until Christ comes do we just go in the corner and quietly wait and do nothing? No. Do we not enjoy certain things on this side of heaven? Absolutely not. Of course we would enjoy things. There are moments of bliss. There are these sweet moments that I wouldn't give up for all the world. 
but I know they're just a taste test of what's coming. They're nothing compared to what's going to happen when I see my Jesus. And so what does that do? It fuels the fire for me to wait with patience for the coming of the Lord. We need to be patient and wait for his return. You know, something happened this week that reminded me of this. Hurricane Irma. So the hurricane found its way on the local news and on the weather channel, and we were all frantically getting as much information that was changing by the hour. And the way that we prepared for that storm, my goodness, we were the most prepared community I think I've ever heard or seen in the history of hurricanes. I mean, there are more standalone meteorologists in this room than I was aware of. Okay? And here's the deal. Saturday afternoon, as Ashley and I were praying about what we were going to do, Ashley asked me to go in the backyard and uh, put the swing set down, just in case the winds were really strong. We wanted to tip the swing set over so that it wouldn't bro- brush up against the house or whatever. And I went outside and uh, I tipped the, the, the swing set over, and all of a sudden I was just overwhelmed. I looked up and the sky was as blue as I've ever seen it. There wasn't a cloud in sight, and there was this unique mixture, and maybe Jim O'Brien could explain this because he is our resident meteorologist, but uh, it was unusual to feel such gusts of wind, but yet such warm air at the same time. And as the warm air and the wind began to kiss my face, I thought it was a whisper from God that something was just around the corner. Now, I cheated. I watched the Weather Channel, so I knew what was coming, but had, had I not had a Weather Channel, if I paid close enough attention, I would know. If I, much before the, the innovation of television and electricity, people knew storms were coming because they could pay attention to the signs. Well, can I tell you something? Pay attention because the Lord is near. The Lord is near. His return, I know this is obvious, is closer than it's ever been, and I don't know when, and I'm not an end times prophet, and I'm not going to make a prediction behind this pulpit, and if you hear someone who makes a prediction, run, because no one knows but God himself. But what I will say is this, Be patient, but be aware, because the Lord's going to return. And we don't know when, but just like that storm, the whispers are what tells us he's nearer than he's ever been before. So number one, be patient for the Lord's return. Number two, be patient for the Lord's judgment. Okay, verse 9 says this, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. This is the other side of the coin. So we're patient for the Lord's return because we know if we are patient, we're going to be rewarded for our faithfulness. Well, here's the other side. We're also going to be judged according to our disobedience and our lack of faith. Now again, as I said in weeks past, this is not a judgment of salvation. If you are truly a born-again believer, you cannot lose what you did not earn. Okay, We can't be unborn again. However, what can happen is this. We can stand before God, embarrassed that we did not serve him the way that we could have, and we can be painfully aware of rewards that we had to forfeit because we were not faithful. And we should be diligent about that. We should be well aware of that. This is the other side of the coin of Christ's return. There's judgment coming. And, and you know, as I think of the, the story of Israel, I think we would, just like the Israelites, if you read the Old Testament, how much they grumbled and how much they forgot all that God had done for them. I think when we forget how close it is before the Lord's return, 
and we just think he's not coming back at all or maybe not in our lifetime. We grumble and completely forget about things. Well, the same thing happened to the Israelites in the Old Testament. I mean, it was just a matter of of months and even years after they were let out of exile or, or slavery in Egypt through the exodus into the promised land. They forgot all the things that God did for them, and they began to, to bicker and to quarrel, and they just forgot how close God was to them and the blessing of the law that He had handed down and His desire to adopt them as His very own. Well, think about it as Christians in the New Testament. Christ is coming. We don't know when, but He's coming, and if we lose sight of that and we try to just live life for all we can live life and, and not, we don't care about eternity, all we think about is the day in front of us, then yeah, we will grumble when we don't get things our way. We will, we will get frustrated. We will pitch a fit. We will do these things. But you know, here's the example that he uses. He talks about the judge walking into the courtroom. Think about it. If you've ever watched TV, or well, I know we have at least one lawyer in the room today, what happens when the judge walks in? All rise. The honorable so-and-so presides. All right? Everyone stands at attention. Okay? The lawyers pursue the judge with honor and respect because they want favor. They want to be heard. The plaintiff and defendant know where to sit and know what to say and know what not to say because the judge is in the courtroom. Well, guess what? This passage is telling us the judge is right around the corner. He's coming. All right? Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. He's right here. He's as close to you as the air you breathe spiritually, and he's going to be here physically as well. And what he's saying is be patient in your suffering and stop quarreling. Stop complaining. Stop blaming other people. Stop being confused that you are suffering because God has a purpose in it and you can't avoid it. It's not that we enjoy it, by the way. We're not masochists. We don't pursue pain. It's not natural to want to suffer, okay? We have medication to try to avoid physical suffering as much as possible, and I think that's a gift from God. It's not that God thinks it's any more holy of us to pursue suffering physically, but God's saying, be patient for it when it happens because I have a purpose in it. Do not think any ounce of pain is ever wasted. Everything you've ever experienced for the cause of Christ that has caused you pain has a purpose, whether it's physical pain, whether it's spiritual pain, whether it's emotional pain. God has a purpose for it. So again, number two, be patient for the Lord's judgment. And that leads me perfectly into our conclusion here. Number three, be patient for the Lord's purpose. Verses 10 through 12 say this. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation." If you think that suffering is strange for a person of faith, spend a day and read the prophets. I mean, just here's a few, okay? Let's start off with Noah. He was a prophet before the nation of Israel was ever established. God called him to preach repentance to a world for decades as he was building an ark and was the laughing stock of his whole community. He suffered ridicule day after day after day. But guess what? He ended up on the ark. God blessed it. 
What about Daniel? Sent into exile in Babylon and thrown into a lion's den. <laughs> you talk about patience? You throw, get thrown into a den with a couple of lions, they'll watch every breath you take. But he did it with patience. And God honored it. What about Ezekiel? He was also driven into exile in Babylon to the point where he didn't want to live anymore. What about Jeremiah? Also a prophet of exile. He watched the city of Jerusalem burn down to the ground. People plundered, goods plundered, and everyone dragged out into Babylon. He was placed in a pit and left there to die. And even though he was eventually rescued, that suffering was enormous. But God blessed it. And God blessed his faith. Now, some of those blessings we sometimes experience on this side of heaven, but most of them we don't. Most of them are eternal rewards. Sometimes I think about it this way. I know it's silly, but I think in terms I can understand, and I know this is probably not how it works, but I do think that there are, there, there, there are uh, spiritual um, storage units in heaven that God is beginning to store up treasures for our faithfulness. And for all the faithfulness that we have, I don't know what type of treasures they are. The Bible says there's crowns that we could wear. Uh, you know, I don't know what lies ahead, but I do think that we are storing up those treasures in these eternal heavenly storage units if we are willing to be faithful for Him down here. And that's what God wants us to focus on more than anything else. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 says this, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. What does that mean? That means your pain has purpose. Again, I, I just I, I, I feed that, that truth to my own soul when I'm experiencing conflict and pain and I'm thinking, God, why am I still wrestling with this? And, and it's the first thing I think of when I'm in the hospital with someone. I, how, God, how do I express to them that there's purpose in this? There's meaning in this. God is going to use, use this together for a greater good for those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. There's purpose in pain. And then at the end of the passage here, James tells us that we need to endure suffering by responding with the simple truth that a yes should be yes and a no should be no. And we don't need to take any oaths because God's in control. All right, it says, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. Just be honest. Don't try to seek more than God intends for you. Don't make oaths. Don't try to avoid suffering. Embrace the fact that it is going to produce for you a reward that is so great, I mean, inadequate to tell you what it is on this side of heaven. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, or mind conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. We don't know what lies ahead in those heavenly storage units, but it's going to be good, I promise you, because I can't even conceive how good it is for those who are faithful. So now... We'd be patient. We'd be patient for the Lord's return, for the Lord's judgment, and the Lord's purpose. And so how do I sum all this up? I would say when we suffer patiently, we reflect the heart of Christ who endured the cross because of his greater joy in redeeming his sheep. I, I think here's the foundational moment of, of human history. Okay, foundational moment of human history. Of course, it's the crucifixion, but I want to go a little bit before that. I want to go the day before the crucifixion. 
Those of you who've been a part of our Monday, Thursday services or at any other time have heard me talk about this is the most instrumental moment in human history. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what happened? In that moment, we see the humanity of Jesus more than we've ever seen it before. We know Jesus is God, but we see the humanity of Jesus in this moment. He realizes that his time of service has come to an end, and he is ordained to take a cross. And what does Jesus do? In prayer, he cries out, My God, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He knew he was going to walk into unspeakable physical pain of crucifixion, but even worse, he was going to experience spiritual separation from the Father. He knew that going in, it was going to be the worst thing that anyone could ever experience in human history. And in his humanity, in his weakness, in his honesty to the Lord in prayer, he simply said, if it's possible, if there's any other way for me not to take on the sins of mankind, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Now, how did Jesus get to that point? I don't have to guess, because Scripture tells us. I don't have to guess. Scripture tells us, and it tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says this. We look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. How did Jesus endure the cross? How was he patient in the time of greatest suffering that will ever be known? He saw beyond the cross to the joy that was set before him. And what was he joyous over? He was joyous over you. He was joyous over his sheep. He was joyous for every single person that God ordained for him to receive into his fold for eternal adoption as children of God. And if Jesus could endure pain and suffering with patience, and he could only do it for the joy that was set before him, the only way that we're ever going to make it through faithfully in the Christian life when we suffer is to keep our eyes on the eternal prize. The, the, the treasures that God is storing up for us, and most importantly, the greatest treasure of all, that personal relationship with God where nothing will ever separate us from Him again. That moment when Jesus embraces us in His arms to never let us go. Don't lose sight of that picture. Suffering is here, and it's not going away. But God has a purpose in it. We just need to be patient for the Lord. I want to leave you with a word of encouragement, our takeaway for today. I heard a pastor say this one time, and it's simple, but it's divine. Be encouraged by this simple truth. For the Christian, everything works out in the end. If it hasn't worked out yet, it's because it's not the end yet. I think that when Christ returns, it is when all wrong is going to be made right. And that's why we cry, come, Lord Jesus. So if you have never Receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If your life does not belong to Him, if you've not lived faithfully for Him, maybe you don't even know Him, or if you do know Him, you know Him up here, but He's never changed your heart right here. All those promises are still not yours. God is offering them to you if you would respond in faith. So my my prayer would be at this very moment, if you know that God is calling you to repent of the life that you're living and giving your life to Jesus, that you would do it today. Not tomorrow, not next week, today. 
And for those of you who are walking with the Lord in suffering, let this be an encouragement to you. God loves you. He's not taken his eyes off you for one second. He's kept every tear of yours in a bottle for safekeeping. And he's got purpose in everything you're experiencing. Keep walking with him. Don't give up on him. He hadn't given up on you. Be patient in suffering because there's purpose. Let us pray. Father, I wish I could put into words what you have before us for those that will remain faithful to their final breath. Father, you say, my eye hasn't seen it, my ears haven't heard it, my mind and heart have not conceived it, so how could I preach it when I don't know it myself? But Father, you tell us it's going to be amazing if we would just be faithful. Father, I pray you would help us. Oh, I beg you, Father, to help us to be patient in suffering. Let us be a church that is quietly and patiently enduring suffering for the greater joy of your Son. Father, send your Son as soon as possible. Come, Lord Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.